What's up, everyone? Tyler Dunn here at Go Long. Thank you so much for reading, for listening, for supporting everything we have going on at golongtd.com. As always, the podcast is fueled by our friends at Fatty Beer Company. Make sure you get on in there, grab your seasonals, grab your IPAs. They've got everything you could possibly want wherever you live in Western New York and even beyond. And Go Long and the written word is 100% fueled by you. So if you can share this website, share a story, share a podcast, whatever you like here with a friend, we greatly appreciate it. Have a lot in store for this playoff run and beyond. So this episode, we get two perspectives on two different teams. Dave Burkett, the excellent beat writer at the Detroit Free Press, gets into Jared Goff, the atmosphere in Detroit, what to expect in their matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then Joshua Briscoe out in Kansas City, Missouri, breaks down the Kansas City Chiefs. What in hell is going on with this team, this offense? How is it different from the last time the Buffalo Bills played the Chiefs? Man, just some some great, great stuff from both of these guys. I hope you enjoy. And we'll be back with Jim Monis very soon as well to break down Bills, Chiefs, and all of the playoff action. Detroit Free Press. He has covered, man, he has covered some bad Lions teams. He has covered some Lions teams that have teased the locals. I feel like those Lions had always been first place until right about that first week of December and there Aaron Rodgers would turn it on. But the, the the tide has turned. I cannot imagine what the atmosphere was like at Ford Field. And now the Lions are two wins away from the Super Bowl. Uh, first off, Dave, how the hell are you doing? Running kids around snow blowing writing amazing stories you do it all yeah it's that that time of year but you're right man i used to joke with people that i was like the the connoisseur of bad football you know i covered like michigan state when john l smith was there in michigan with rich rod and i did own 16 with the lions and shoot you cover the lions as long as i have you've seen some bad football and not anymore can't cannot say that anymore about this team what year did you start covering the team so I did the 2008 season. I was not at the Free Press then. I was at the Oakland Press. I left. I covered Michigan for a year. I've been at the Free Press since 2010. Uh, a lot of losing. They made the playoffs three times before this year, you know, when I was covering them. And uh, obviously hadn't won a playoff game until last week. And here we are, two two wins from the Super Bowl now. And I think that's hard for a lot of people here to believe. I think when we did this back in OTAs, maybe, when I was out there at uh, at the facility yeah. and – you know, there's a lot of hype, a lot of hope. Dan Campbell can can get anybody to want to run through a wall, but you weren't really sure. Like, I think I'm trying to think back to what the apprehension was. You know, is, is Jared Goff a quarterback that can yeah. rise up and win this time of year? Um, he just took down Sean McVay, the coach who basically blamed and banished him. I know he's trying to kind of like explain how that went down and apologize, but let's not forget what happened there. I mean, he was scapegoated. 
<laughs> uh, and and Jared Goff beats him. It was look. I you're right. I, I picked the Lions to win the division, but I think I had him at ten wins. You know, maybe eleven as I was looking at that schedule, and it was definitely one of those where you thought they were going to be good and they were going to take a step forward, but maybe they were still a year away from like really being in that elite class of teams. And, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll find out if they play the 49ers here in the, the NFC championship game, if, if they really are truly in a, an elite team or, you know, they, they lost to the Baltimore Ravens, obviously the best team that they played. And, and that was a pretty, pretty lopsided game. So, um, you know, maybe maybe they still are in some ways, but look, there's not a lot of great teams in the NFL, and the Lions are, have a really complete roster. Dan Campbell, you mentioned, like he just gets people to believe, and Jared Goff has played pretty darn good football, uh, really all season, and that's those those things are the biggest reason why. I mean, if you have a quarterback, you have a coach and a staff that can really develop a roster, a young roster like the Lions had and have, and you know, Brad Holmes deserves credit for putting that together. They just seem like a really complete team right now, one that's going to be around for a long, long time, even though you know they may have some offensive changes, losing the coordinator, and some things that Jared Goff will have to adjust to going forward. Right. Maybe we get our answer when Ben Johnson becomes a head coach somewhere else. But this past weekend, um, I just found it kind of fascinating because you look at like a Tua Tungavaiola with Mike McDaniel and the Miami Dolphins, and I mean, he led the league in passing. They're winning games. They're scoring 70 points. Yet the last two seasons kind of – fell apart at the end. And it, it just seems yeah. like maybe this is a quarterback that shines in a system, but you get a little pressure on him. You have him playing negative wind chill. Something's a little off and he's off. He, he, he takes you so far. And then, you know, Jordan Love is improvising and playing within the offense. And I mean, that's kind of why yeah. I always loved him at, at Utah state. You know, shit could hit the fan that last year. You know, he had so many players yeah. graduated hurt and, um, I think the Packers kind of saw that and said, hey, maybe, maybe he's got something special. But where does Jared Goff kind of fall into this? Because I think that that would be the argument against him to play devil's advocate against my own point. Sure. Maybe with Sean McVay and that offense, he could only take them to a point. That's what McVay thought. So off to Detroit he goes, and now he's two wins away from the Super Bowl. Do, do you see him as somebody that can transcend a system and maybe win that that difficult game and that difficult circumstance that maybe you don't get it this week against Tampa Bay, but like you said, you're probably going to get it in San Francisco or green Bay even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Packers obviously are playing really, really good football right now and shoot Jordan love looks like three straight, you know, that they've hit on quarterback wise there. And and so that's um, you know, maybe that's some cause for concern in the NFC North uh, for the lions. But look, I, I think, I think the cloud will sort of hang over Jared Goff's head until Ben Johnson is gone, just because there are, I mean, look, Ben's a very, very bright guy. I mean, he's done wonders with the offense. Um, I, I think he will take a head coaching job this year. He should have a couple opportunities. And so there sort of will be that like, okay, let's go ahead and prove it, Jared. You know, what, what exactly are you without Ben Johnson? But the one feather in, in Jared Goff's cap, so to speak, and, you know, he's sort of addressed this is, and for the Lions that matter, is, you know, he's got a an organization, a head coach, a team that believes in him right now, and, and he didn't really have that in L.A. And so I do think maybe maybe there was a little bit of a fragile psyche there, like that got to him after things started to, you know, to go the wrong way when they, they didn't score you know, a touchdown in the Super Bowl and, and then they didn't make the playoff the next year. And so I think there were some things – you know, that, that maybe, um, you know, 
stacked up against him, let, let's say, right? It was just that, that you know, that door that was tough to, to sort of push open and, and get through. And here, you know, Dan has not, it's not like Dan Campbell has been easy on him or his coaches have been easy on him, but they've built him back up while still, you know, helping him grow. And I think that's been important to his development. And it will be another step to do it without the guy calling plays because he's so good. But um, I think Jared's in a better place right now to to handle that and to excel than he was when he came here a couple of years ago. Boy, he's he's got such a steely demeanor. You know, he, he never really gets down on receivers if, if they drop a pass or doesn't really get too high. But like, I guess the two ends of the spectrum, like what when he was first traded to Detroit, what was he like to talk to in the locker room? Because I think when that trade first went down, everybody kind of felt a little bad for Jared Goff. Like, man, the Lions are going to be bad for a long, long time. They've been bad for a long, long time. This guy was in the Super Bowl. He's with Sean McVay. He's with the Rams. And now he's going off to Detroit to die. Like, did he seem bummed out? Like, what, 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 what kind of mental state was he in when he first got to Detroit? Yeah, I think he said the right things. And it was a little different time. Tyler, I'm sure you remember, right? Like COVID. So I don't I don't remember being in the locker room much True. that first year. Maybe, maybe we weren't in until the second year. So it's obviously tougher to get a, a read exactly what's going on. But, you know, and you know, you mentioned it earlier, right? He sort of downplayed like, uh, you know, there's no, you know, animosity, even though I still got this chip on my shoulder and no, no, everything's all good, even though now I got people believing in me. So he's, he said the right things, but he's always sort of left, left a, a trail of breadcrumbs that let you know exactly what he was thinking about what happened in LA. And, um, but you know, the, the reality is like in Detroit, things weren't going good those first, you know, 10 or 12 weeks. I mean, you know, they started 10 and one, they fired their offensive coordinator. Um, I don't know that Anthony Lynn, their, their first offensive coordinator, totally believed in Jared Goff. And, and I think that that feeling was mutual. And then, you know, to Dan's credit, like Anthony Lynn, one of his good friends, he, he demoted him midseason, fired him after the season and just realized like, hey, Ben Johnson is really good for this offense. And Dan, you know, his vision for the offense was maybe a little bit different than what Anthony Lynn was was executing, too. So um, I think they've they found the right synergy. But you know, it wasn't without its rough patches early on and being honest for myself. And I think a lot of people here in Detroit, like it didn't look like it was going to work with Jared Goff right off the bat. And, and that was part of, part of the reason why. And then you see the the scene in the locker room, obviously you're good enough to, for Detroit, Jared yeah. Goff. I mean, that yeah. talk about a breadcrumb. That's a little, little more than a breadcrumb there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And look, you know, he's, um, yeah, it, it, there, there's no doubt that that win was meaningful for Jared and for everyone that, you know, sort of had ties and, and really for everyone in the organization because of, of the Jared ties. But, you know, the uh, look, you know, Jared had some some rough patches. And I bet you if you gave, you know, Dan and Brad and all those people some true serum, they 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 weren't 100 percent sure this is what the, the, the kind of Jared Goff that they were going to get to. So they, you know, to Brad Holmes credit with that trade, you know, they, they took a risk on the upside. They knew there was something there, but. They're, they're probably a little surprised by what it all became too. Right. They got a lot of draft picks. <laughs> they yeah, got a lot of capital in that yeah. trade. And, but it worked out. talented quarterback to carry them through, you know, to, to figure out what they were going to be. And that quarterback has blossomed. That's what it was. So he gets paid, right? Safe to say they're going to get something done. I think you have to, you win a playoff game here and, you know, you're going to pay him $50 million a year. That's what the, the going rate is now. So, and he's young enough that, you know, he's not, it's not like he's going to take a discount and get 40 million or something like that. Like he's had a really good year. 
you lead this team to playoff success. Look, you know, um, I said this a few weeks ago, we were talking just with some people in the press room and Tyler, I think like, you know, everyone looking at the Lions season was like, okay, you know, if you lose that first round playoff game, it's probably a disappointment just the way things had unfolded. If you win the first one, you're like, okay, this is, this is it. This is where we are. This is where we should be. If you lost the second one, like maybe it's okay. But now that the second one is home and against Tampa, you sort of have to win this one too. And so if they win two playoff games, I mean, the first time in franchise history, that's really happened. Um, yeah, you have no choice but to pay the man. You, you can't take a step back. You can't do anything that would hurt your chances of success next year because you'll enter next season as one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. Man, I mean, in, he is damn good in his own right. Some of those throws he, he was making in this game and, and a lot of big games this year, I, I agree. But, you know, Tampa Bay's maybe a, a little better than some Lions fans think. Like, they obviously just slugged the Eagles in the in the jaw. Um They've got guys that took down Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl that still believe they're that defense, that team. And Baker Mayfield, similar to Jared Goff, is is feeling it right yep. now. I mean, he's rejuvenated. So if if you're the Lions, what would concern you? Um, you know, we've talked about it with McGinn a bunch on on that podcast with the pass rush. I mean, they've been cycling through so yep. many different options for the love of God. I mean, Bruce yep. Irvin's been dusted off. Uh then, then the Dolphins dusted him off. It's, it's crazy that he's still in the league at 36 and trying everything i mean james houston's been out all year um aline mcneil's back inside and, and played really well this past week but what what concerns you about that probably something on the lions defense you think tampa bay is yeah. going to try to attack well the secondary i mean you know this is they've given up a hundred yard receiver four straight weeks and good receivers justin jefferson cd lamb jefferson again and then puka last week obviously but the secondary has some issues i mean they're you know, the Lions have to blitz in order to get pressure on quarterbacks to help Aiden Hutchinson. And that sort of leaves some one-on-one matchups that, you know, good quarterbacks have taken advantage of. And, and Ty, if you go back, you know, I went back and watched the the week six Lions-Bucks game um, the other day. Baker missed three touchdown passes, like three long touchdowns, guys that just broke free, got behind the secondary. Uh, Mike Evans once and, and the rookie Trey Palmer a couple times. And he just flat out missed them. One pass got tipped at the line of scrimmage and was intercepted. The other ones he just, you know, didn't connect on, you know, those he hits on those. It's a different game. I mean, the Lions, that was their worst rushing game of the season. The first time they played Tampa, Jameer Gibbs was out. Montgomery got hurt in the first half in that game. So, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances. But um, I think the secondary Tampa does a lot of max protect when they take those shots. You know, that's not good for the Lions pass rush because they don't have a lot of guys that can get home one on one. Um, that's the biggest issue to me. And then it is a really good defense. So if it turns out to be a low scoring game, Hey, that's, you know, one of those where, where anything can happen. If, you know, you give Baker the ball and, and Tampa's down six with, you know, two and a half minutes to play, you just, you just never know in a situation like that. Man, that's, that's such a great point. I mean, like Cam Sutton, he, he gets burnt by Puka Nakua, but then he makes the play at the end too, I believe. Right. Like he, so it's like, Definitely. give it, take away. Maybe, maybe a little pass interference there. Some people, I definitely heard from some Ram fans on that, but yeah, no, it's there's Rams fans. What? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Maybe it was uh, you heard Packers from all three of them. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> but no, that's. I mean, you're right. Look to the Lions. That to the credit of the secondary, you know, they have been burned by big plays all year, or or you know, had the the opportunity to be burned by them. Derek Carr didn't take advantage. Um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo when they played the Raiders. So there were some opportunities out there that, that quarterbacks have missed. 
But last week, red zone, end of the game, the secondary made some plays. And, you know, that's where I guess if you're going to have them, right, that, that's where it matters. So you hold the Rams to three field goals in the red zone, and that's the difference. That's why you win that first playoff game. They get a touchdown or two there. All of a sudden, it's a different script. I think in trying to explain the Lions, you have to kind of look at what Brad Holmes and, and Dan Campbell have done for, for three years, right? Trying to find that specific DNA, somebody who's been through some shit, overcame it, is going to make that play in the fourth quarter when they're running on E. Um, you know, yeah. like, you know, football isn't one on, on a spreadsheet, but like, is there a player on this team that maybe we're not thinking about enough, talking about enough that embodies everything that, that they're that they've been building. I mean, Khalif Raymond yeah. stood out to me when I was out there with everything he's been through with his mental health and even back yeah. to sending out a zillion emails to colleges. But you're you're covering that team day to day. Who's a guy on that team that say that that's why the Lions are kind of here? Yeah, well, outside of like the obvious, the Jared Goff, you know, the offensive line who really good, and and I think some of those guys sort of you know fit that bill too. You know, I guess if you want to look defensively, you know, one one of the guys for me is is Alex Anzalone, and I know he's a leader. So he's maybe not quite as under the radar ish, but you go back and you look at his career, man, like new Orleans, you know, he was injured and, you know, he was a part-time linebacker. I mean, he played, but you know, he was sort of a third linebacker in some of those sets. Like he's been really, really good this year for them. And, you know, the way they've, they've used him, you know, he plays both, you know, middle and, and outside. So sometimes they'll deploy him in coverage. You know, sometimes he's sort of the guy that's just, you know, barreling down on the run and, um, you know, played through a shoulder, been playing through a shoulder injury. He's going to play again this week. He'll keep playing through it. You know, one of those guys that even when they signed him and when they re-signed him that first year, they re-signed him to another one-year contract. Like sort of like the, the Jared Goff acquisition where it was like, you know, from Alliance standpoint, they were like, we need this guy, but do we, how much do we really trust this guy? And ah, we'll bring him back. He knows the defense. He's good to have in the locker room. And then last year, you know, he had a really good season. They finally rewarded him with a multi-year deal. This year he's playing his best football. Um, again, being used in a little bit different role, been been really good in the locker room for Derek Barnes and Jack Campbell. And so, you know, he's one of those guys that because of the name and because he plays such a prominent position, you know, virtually 100% of the snaps, like you don't maybe think that he's overcome some of that adversity like some of these other guys. Ifatu Melifanwo, who was on the bench for two and a half seasons before he got a shot, or, or Khalif Raymond, like you said. But I do think Anzalone is – he embodies a lot of that where he's been through a lot of that shit. You know, he's he's just sort of sorted through the muck, and now he's blossomed in Detroit and become a pretty good player. Well said. I mean, all of the injuries. You might have written about this. Sorry if I missed it. I don't. Maybe, maybe he hasn't really opened up on it, but – Everything going on at the in, in Israel, right? Doesn't he have family back there? Well, his his parents were over there on uh, vacation, essentially a church trip. That's right. When when fighting broke out, they're home now, no issues now. But you know, it's sort of the <laughs> he had that. You know, he got injured. He, his wife had a baby. Like it was all like bang, bang, bang. Like he had the most interesting week. You know, like like around. But yeah, it was you know his 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 parents were okay. Um, you know, they, they ended up getting out of there, I think, a few days after the fighting, if I remember right. But no no family that I know of that's over there now. Good Lord, that's horrifying. Um, I, I can't imagine. Uh, so, all right, let's just get to this game. I mean, how crazy is that stadium going to be? And how, and how crazy was it? Like for, for being, yeah. It's one thing to see it on TV. It's another thing to actually be in that press box and feel it. It was, I mean, legitimately from 
an hour before the game. Like it just, it was nonstop. It was four hours of just a rock concert. Like everyone was, you know, at level 10 and Dan said it, you know, when he walked out like of the tunnel, like he could sort of feel the vibe and, you know, Matthew Stafford comes out and I think people were kind of wondering what kind of reception he's going to get. The whole crowd boos him, you know, Jared Goff comes out, they're cheering, they're chanting his name. Like, you know, one of those things that I'm sure Jared Goff will never forget, you know, the way that he was serenaded and anyone who was there will probably never forget that, that atmosphere. I mean, when the Rams had the ball, like the noise just didn't stop. And when the Lions had the ball, it was remarkably quiet. And even when at the end of the game there, when, you know, moments, it seemed a little tense, like, okay, Matthew Stafford, they've seen him do this before 30 couple comebacks. And, you know, he's got the ball seven minutes left and like, what's going to happen? Like the, the crowd was just, it was, it was, it was bonkers. And uh, this week's going to be even crazier. I mean, Ty, look, you know, the, um, before last week, I think the, the uh, loudest, craziest game I saw at Ford Field was 2011, a Monday night game against the Bears or like, Bears had like nine false start penalties. It was, it was the Lions' first home Monday night game in like 12 years. So it was brand new, you know, to like a whole generation of fans. Like, you know, there was some excitement about the Lions and, oh, my God, this is great. We're prime time. And, well, think about that, you know, times three. Like the Lions hadn't hosted a playoff game in 30 years. And all of a sudden, you know, they're playing their old quarterback and Jared Goff is facing his old team. And it was just electric. And, you know, Eminem comes on the, the, the scoreboard and the, the place, you know, just erupts. And during introductions, you know, Jared Goff is, is introduced and the, the place is deafening. So it was, you know, Baker Mayfield said in his, his press conference Wednesday that he talked to some of the Rams guys. Obviously, he played for, for the Rams last year and that they told him it was the, the loudest, you know, best environment they'd ever seen. And so it just and again, I know Rams, right? They don't have many fans, but um, yeah, no, it was it was definitely something to behold. I'm trying to think of a comp like my, my wife went to the Ed Sheeran concert in Detroit uh, this past year. And yeah. and that's when Eminem came out and did Lose Yourself, like when Ed did yeah. just started the intro and. Uh, there's yeah. the the clip on Instagram is amazing. I'm, I'm guessing like that raucous, deafening boom is exactly what it was like for it was that game and, and to have Eminem there. <laughs> Look, you know, I um so uh, driving down like I got there was an accident on the way that I go to the to the uh, the stadium and I sat in like this accident like we didn't move four lanes on the highway for like 45 minutes didn't move everyone had to turn around and go the the opposite way like up the exit ramp so I had to take this back way to go there so I didn't get to the game until probably an hour and 15 minutes before the game hour and a half, you know 20 minutes before the game whatever it was and uh, but I walked in when I walked in um, the concourse, like I couldn't even move. It was jam packed with people an hour and 20 minutes before the game, snow, Detroit, cold, right? People are coming early. They're not standing outside tailgating all the time, but you couldn't move and you walked in and there's, you know, chance of let's go lions. This is an hour and a half before the game or whatever it was. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was, it was bonkers. And I mean, it was definitely, you know, one of those environments that you'll, you'll never, ever, ever forget. Lastly though, the, the booing of Stafford. Good. Yeah bad and different yeah I mean, he was the enemy of that game you know yeah. i wasn't surprised but yeah look lions fans they this is a football town you know we've we've long said right like a good weekend you get one hundred and ten thousand at a michigan game seventy thousand at a michigan state game and, and sixty five thousand at a lions game and you know they're all different fan bases to a degree and so that's you know one weekend in the state like that's what you pack into to football stadiums and 
it's, you know, this team has been, or this fan base has been starved for success for so, so long from this team um, for them to have the season that they're having where there is no Aaron Rodgers in the division where, you know, things sort of open up and now you have two home playoff games. And, you know, the reality is you're, you're two wins from the Super Bowl, and one of those games is at home and you get to the NFC championship game, one game, anything can happen, right? Christian McCaffrey pulls his calf muscle in, in the second quarter. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know, are the Lions losing that game? Like as much as I think the 49ers are the better team, like maybe not. So that's how close they feel this this fan base feels to you know this this the Super Bowl which was this 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 you know land that they couldn't touch they couldn't visit for so so long that they feel like hey we're almost there and we got a damn good chance to get there with a team and a coach that everyone like associates with you know everyone can can they can feel Dan and they they're part of Dan like he is an everyman and I think a lot of people around here they relate to that. And so there, this has just been like the storybook in a lot of ways. And in the back of my head, look, the Niners, but in the back of my head, I also think just the way that things have unfolded and the thing has been put together. Spectacular stuff, Dave, man, I, I can't thank you enough <laughs> for carving out little time for go along here as you're uh, cranking out the content yeah. at the Detroit free press. So we'll let you get back to it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out there in person. And hey, so I'll man. make sure I get back out. Sounds good, man. I'll see you at some point here. Thanks Dave. All right, ladies and gents, this is a treat and he's fist pumping and I'm going to fist pump too, because we did this last year, Joshua, and it was awesome. Uh, Joshua Briscoe, co-host of The Zone and also the Chiefs postgame show at Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. A great thinker when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. He thinks outside the box, an analyst, and you gave us such a great perspective last year ahead of the Super Bowl in Phoenix against the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't remember what you said, but I'm sure you nailed it, Josh. I'm, I'm absolutely sure you nailed it. I think Chiefs Thinker is going to make it to the bio somewhere. I love that. I'm here to be a thought leader. I'm here to ask questions that make you think, and, and then we'll see where we end up at the end of it all. So thank you for having me back. Uh, I am, I've been enjoying your work all year long, and uh, I am excited to be here to try to explain the Chiefs to you. It should only take, I don't know, six to eight hours. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean it, though. I think you're, you think outside of the box. We like bringing people on the podcast who aren't just kind of uh, accepting the podium slop you know, the, the, the topic du jour and writing those 15 inches. So yeah, it's a weird team. It's been a weird season, I guess to jump right into it. How is this chiefs team and this playoff run different than last year's chiefs team and that playoff run? I was afraid that that's where you were going in terms of the scope of it all, because this chiefs team right now is fundamentally different from the chiefs team from two months ago which is fundamentally different from the Chiefs team who won the Super Bowl, which is et cetera, et cetera. So the, the team we're seeing right now, as opposed to the team that we saw win the Super Bowl, <laughs> the defense is better, which is kind of hilarious. The defense was good last year. Jalen Hurts went crazy. People forget about that. But the defense is actually better right now. They have even more pieces, and it's, it's gelled even better. But as everyone has seen, the offense has had some of those issues that are just kind of hard to put your finger on. 
And Andy Reid's been on this company line at the podium, giving us the podium slop now so much this season of, oh, we're just a tick off. Like it's become mimetic around Kansas City. It's like if if you crash into your neighbor's car on the street, you were just a tick off. Like you were so close to not hitting your neighbor's car. But that's really been their season. It has been a season of close but no cigar or a season of good team, not great team, getting in their own way. And and ultimately, the fact that they didn't have that happen last weekend against Miami is kind of the guiding light for everything that I'm I'm considering leading up to this Bills game. That's a great point because I think it's probably a much different Chiefs team than the one the Bills even played, what, a month and a half ago? Yep. Uh, when it comes down to Kadarius Tony lining up offside. Yep. Are we going to see Kadarius Tony in this game, right? He was a game day inactive. Is he going to see the field? I do not know. And I, I care more than I want to, because for so much of this year, even today, I've been struggling a little bit with like, I can't totally quit Kadarius Tony. I, I can definitely quit like wanting him to be out there for 80% of the snaps. Those days are gone. I, I can quit him like lining up offsides for an entire game. And then, you know, it, it ending essentially the game that way. There are a lot of things that are deeply frustrating. I kind of think he might be active, uh, but they've done a little bit of receiver shuffling with, with like Sky Moore is coming off IR, but maybe not in time for this game. And Justin Ross is back out there. Maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't, but it, it is a fundamentally different squad than the one that you guys saw last time because Rasheed Rice did get a lot of work in that game, but his arc has really picked up from there. And no Drew Tranquil in that game. Nick Bolton was his first game back from, from his injury then, I believe. And so you're, you're even getting a, a more cohesive defense, but it, it really is like it's very reductive. But if they just didn't have terribly time penalties, missed deep shots, the, the turnovers that frequently this year have turned into immediate points. You know, you, you saw it in week one against the Lions. It happened twice, back-to-back snaps against the Raiders a few weeks back. That is the sort of weird stuff that, that has really permeated this entire year. Yeah, when it comes to Kadarius Tony, I was going to say there's a there's a crazy X analogy in there somewhere that we can yeah yeah can't there quit him. Just there quit is him. and and you haven't found love since you know so it's not it's not like it's a crazy X like after your life has settled down like the Chiefs are very much in a spot right now still where it's like I am we got Rasheed Rice and we know that's locked down for the long haul but we we need a second love and it's either him or like Justin Watson and that is also something that's different from last year Marquez Valdez Scantling step back regression whatever it is I, bad luck he, he has been a, a across the board worse player this year in, in than he was last year in a way that is such a precipitous drop off that it's like that again it's weird i'll i'll cross plug yeah. uh, another thing that i do only weird games is the name of the show that we we rebooted and started just uh, before this season with myself and nate taylor of the athletic and seth kaiser uh fellow Substack enthusiast yes um, fantastic job and uh, and so we we had we we the show was on the athletic for a while, then it ended up moving and all of that. And so we needed a new name when we went to KC Sports Network, which we're with now. And we we eventually landed on something we had said about Chiefs games in years past, which was the Chiefs play only weird games. That's the name of the show now. <laughs> this year it was prophetic because it got even weird. Yeah, shame on me. It's right there in your bio on Twitter at My, JB dude, Briscoe. Right there, bio, only weird games. KC Sports Network. So. Check my bio out, would take up the entire show. It's there's no shame in editing my bio. You know, no Pacheco in that first game too. Great um, point. Yeah. Which I mean, every time he runs the ball, the memes are amazing. 
The analogies are incredible. What's the best one to you? I mean, he really looks like he is running for his freaking life every time he has the ball. But is is, is there a perfect way to put the way he runs the ball to you, Josh? I really like saying that he runs like the Tasmanian devil because there is something about it. Even in, in all of his like extra movements, he is not an efficient runner. He is, he is not a clean runner, but there is chaos and power and fury and energy all the way through it. So I, I keep going back to, to him running like the Tasmanian devil, but like he's mad at the ground, like the Ren is due, like the only way he's going to free his family is if he makes it to the end zone right now on this snap in particular, uh, Somebody tweeted, uh, uh, he runs like he set the treadmill speed too high. Like all of those are, they're all good because he is such a unique mover with the football. It's so, it's so fun. I I love watching him run. He is a a member of the all old school team here at Go Long. I mean, and and that's a presence that they didn't have the last game. Look, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at this Chiefs team. I mean, you can really talk yourself into any narrative, but you you look at these games, there's so many games they kind of gave away. And this this Bills game was, was one of them. I'm thinking of the, the Packers game. I'm yep. sure the Packer Packers listeners here would beg Eagles, to differ because Love Bills. played great. But but they the Chiefs easily could have won that. What else, what else kind of stood out to you? Or Eagles? That's so the the crazy thing is that I can do this in generalities, or we can try to do it in some specifics, and I'm gonna get them mixed up because I'm gonna forget which game it was that MVS got tackled and didn't get the flag. I think that was Packers. Drop the deep shot that should have brought them within range. I think that was the Eagles. I may have flipped those two. Um, again, it's 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 like wacky turnovers that should not result in immediate points. It, It is those those untimely penalties where. I don't, I don't think it's taking anything away from opposing teams to say the Chiefs were in positions to win these games. And then in the moment that decides the game, we're always prisoners of the moment in, when we're watching sports. The last thing you see is the last thing you remember. It's the first thing you talk about. We, we do that all the time. But that last moment so many times for the Chiefs this year has been a mistake, a drop, a missed call, a, a failed execution, and it, it even kind of goes not to get ahead of ahead of you, but like to to the Dolphins game when they still had some of those penalties. Um, Juwan Taylor's, in my view, really ticky tack blocking the back down in the red zone that took a touchdown off the board that ended up being a field goal. So now when we talk about the Chiefs having red zone problems, we're really talking about plays like that. What is it that got in your way at the end? And and again, they've just they have found ways to do that so many times this year that the, the city is collectively done watching Marquez about the scantling run down the field. They, we, they don't like to see McCole Hardman try to track a deep ball. There, there has been an open call for playmakers in this offense. that guys have routinely been in positions to make plays and then not actually made them. And, and again, there are so many examples. It is easy, easy to paint a world in where this team wins at least three more games by just playing like reasonably clean football. And it usually does come down to those wide receivers uh, screwing up in some epic fashion. So you can look at it and say, well, if Marquez Valdez-Scanling just catches that ball, they win that game. But but they haven't turned that corner. Like, it's it's not like they've fixed it. I, I guess, like you said, Rasheed Rice has, has come on. Uh, finished with 938 yards and 79 receptions, seven touchdowns. Played great in that Miami game, Cincinnati game before that. So... I mean, maybe that's the answer there if, if you're thinking that things are going to change for the Chiefs. But, man, I the, the Bills are really good at just kind of clouding the coverage, mucking it up. Uh, a lot of guys in zone covering a lot of space and, and really forcing you to 
matriculate down the field. Mm-hmm. Was that was that Hank Strand back in the day? Yeah, you you uh, you you've narrow casted right to us. <laughs> that was a total accident. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's what they're gonna have to do. I, I don't think it will be to the extreme of what the Bills did in 2020, when basically Sean McDermott said, "Run the ball all over us if you want," and sat back in the two safeties, and Mahomes said, "Okay," and they just feasted on the light boxes. They were in command of the whole game. I, but I, I do think that there's some way somehow going to force these receivers to make a play. Can they make a play? That's probably what it comes down to. Can Justin Watson make a play? Can MVS make a play? Sky Moore. I I don't know if they can. I, I'm not sure. I don't either. Here's here's what gives me here's what gives me hope for the Chiefs in the in the narrow view and then concern in the wider view again. Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey had 22 targets against the Dolphins. Isaiah Pacheco had 24 carries. The majority of the Chiefs offense, with obviously Patrick Mahomes being at the helm of everything, the majority of the Chiefs offense ran through three guys, and it was the best the offense has looked in a really long time. And and I wonder how enough. sustainable Maybe that that's can enough be. then. That's that's what I'm wondering. Is because if, if you get Patrick Mahomes in in playoff mo- playoff Mahomes mode where he will take off the football, he will pick up 13 yards and they need 12, and it will happen every time, and it'll always be frustrating for opposing teams. When you have that version of this offense, again. I, I'm a broken record. Please, I understand how redundant this part is. If they can run through those three weapons in Mahomes and decent offensive line play and not make the mistakes to themselves, that's the redundant part. But if they can do that to an 80% success rate, they were not perfect against Miami by any means. But if, if they can play cleaner football and run through those three guys, I think that might be enough. Part of it with Miami is how banged up that defense was. And, and we knew that, you know, in the in the final weeks of the season, it just kept snowballing for Miami. It got worse and worse, and the weather got worse, and they got behind, and it felt like at that point the Chiefs were taking control, right? I, I keep looking at this Bills defense being as banged up as it is, and I wonder what is the answer for the middle of the field for Buffalo? What, what can you do in the spot on the field where Travis Kelsey is the most deadly, Patrick Mahomes is happy to throw, and Rasheed Rice can also get you on some crossers? That's a spot where I think the Chiefs would like, and, and then also, of course, Isaiah Pacheco. That's a spot on the field that I think the Chiefs would actually like to run some of this offense through, and I don't know how Buffalo's going to defend it. You, you may end up with the play where, like, MVS gets a, gets a beat on Kyrie Elam, right? And you, you try to win one of those matchups for the Chiefs' offense. I, I think they will probably need one of those plays to land in, in this game. Yeah. I think if we're talking about Baltimore in a week, I'm not I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't work for the team, so I don't mind looking ahead a little bit. We're talking about Baltimore in a week. I think we're going to be talking about the Chiefs needing several of those plays to land. With how good this defense is, I, I think they can run it through Mahomes, Kelsey, Rice, and, and Pacheco and win this game. I really do. That's a great breakdown. And I chuckle because I can just see this game still coming down to those two players. MVS, who's been embattled in KC, and former first-round pick Kyrie Elam, who the Bills have tried to hide since they've drafted him, basically. Which, uh, which they play. drafted they drafted him right after the Chiefs jumped over them to get Trent McDuffie, adding right. the layers to this narrative. Totally, which that draft was incredible for the Chiefs. Uh, and could you see it coming down to that? One-on-one, deep shot, who makes the play? <laughs> and I think MVS will be open, and I think the ball will be where Mahomes wants to put it. I do not know what will happen after that. <laughs> right. Who the hell knows? Who knows? So yeah, is, it, is, uh, is Kelsey, uh, I'm not going to say 
done. I'm not going to say washed. Obviously, he's he still put up really good numbers. He can still make plays. But, you know, I think that his yards per reception, 10.6, that's the lowest it's been in his career. He had how many drops against Miami? And I, I think he had, he, he had two or three just against Miami. He had several this year, for sure. What are you getting in Travis Kelsey right now? Because he's somebody who has torched the Bills in the past. Think about that overtime touchdown. The 13 seconds game, it was so crazy before overtime. It's easy to forget that they were a knife through butter right down the field. And it ended with just a perfect throw. Mahomes to Kelsey over Matt Milano, who's not in this game, obviously. So no Milano and you don't have his backup. You would think that Kelsey would just go to town at a game like this. But it's it's not the same Kelsey, is it? I I have been a little bit bummed by by the narratives around Kelsey this year. And obviously a lot of them end up being Taylor Swift adjacent for just like having the craziest story of the NFL season. I mean, the most famous woman in the world, arguably. But but I've I've been a little bit bummed by the narrative there because I do think a ton of the like quote unquote slowed down Kelsey, which I think is somewhat fair. I, I think a lot of that is the Chiefs' fault. I, I really do. Because what happened this year is is they came into this season saying Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore will be the guys who take pressure off of Travis Kelsey when opposing defenses are game planning. Kelsey's workload went down a tiny bit last year. Like they were kind of trying to move in that direction to make him a not a part-time player, but not an every snap player. They go through that experience last off but last season. And then again, this offseason, they come in and say, Tony, Sky Moore, one of those guys are going to step up and, and, and take some of this weight off your shoulders. Then in the final practice before Chiefs Lions, he hyper extends his knee. He he misses week one and then he comes back. And then again in the the uh Minnesota game, his foot kind of shifts weird in the turf there, his cleat gets caught, and he, he ended up coming back in that game, I think. But uh, I can't remember when in the game it was, but it, that still I wondered about how much that was affecting him for a while as well. But then it wasn't until late mid-season that Rasheed Rice proved that other defenses, the defenses need to care about him. And when Rasheed Rice hit that level, he was the first player on the Chiefs offense who could honestly say that. Sky Moore and Kader- Sky Moore was basically a non-factor and Kadarius Tony was a net name and, and, and has been over the course of this season. So it, it's funny because Travis Kelsey does not extend his thousand yard receiving streak while being the second leading receiver amongst tight ends this year. George Kittle now has the longest active thousand yard tight end receiving streak with one. <laughs> that's, that's the new active longest streak right now. So he ends the year, what, like 16 yards short of 1,000, and he did it in in 15 games because he didn't play in week one or in week 18. And defenses who seemed like they knew what they were doing just keyed on Travis Kelsey so much in the first half of the season, and and especially as the wide receiver issues became more evident, I think it may have even ramped up. Say, hey, if you let number 87 beat you, you should get fired on Monday because make it be somebody else. And a lot of defenses did that, and other guys got in the way. So I I think that there is something to be said for coming up with the succession plan for Travis Kelsey. I think there's something to be said for assuming that he plays two more years, finishes this contract, and then retires. Um, he was asked about it in a presser a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and and said that you know he, he intends to keep playing, even though there was some retirement talk in a Wall Street Journal story he did maybe a month or so ago. But I, I think the, the plan of him finishing out this contract probably still holds, and he is still awesome. He's deceptively slow-looking in space because he's a, he's a uh, I think it was uh, Arif Hassan who said he looks like a gracious moose or a, a, a whatever, a, a, a great, a, what was what was the specific word he used? Um, anyway, a galloping moose in space, something along those lines. 
that that is uh, stuck with me, but apparently not enough yeah, to remember both sort of words. Galloping moose, yeah, I like that. he really does. And he also, if you've ever tried to tackle a moose, I bet it feels like tackling Travis Kelsey, which is really unpleasant. So the drops are one thing, and that's not great. That that doesn't feel like a a great sign. The frustration on the sideline that we've seen at times, I think, has been a factor of of how poor this offense has been and how invested he still is in all of that. So I I, I bristle a little bit about like the end of Travis Kelsey talk because I think he's actually been a better player than he's gotten credit for this year as, as the only real weapon that Patrick Mahomes could trust in this offense, at least until Rasheed Rice proved it in real huge ways, which I think is still expanding now. That's man. I hadn't looked at it like that. It makes a lot of sense. And I would think the chiefs are thrilled that, well, relatively healthy, but Kelsey at this point, we got to be feeling pretty good. And, and it, Mahomes is playing on one good leg last postseason. Like, yeah. I mean, that was the Jaguars game where he just gets pretzeled in a in a mountain of bodies and wins a Super Bowl, you know, hobbling around. Um, so I know it hasn't been the same Mahomes, and yeah, I, I I'm kind of with you there. Maybe that narrative has kind of been beaten down a little too much too. But he, he's healthy, you know, and, and he he just ramps it up in these games. So that would scare me if I'm Buffalo, like what? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this Tyree kill ain't walking through that door, but he did get to a super bowl and win a super bowl without Tyree kill and with one good leg. So that, that part gets left out all the time too, where it's like, Oh, you're finally seeing the impact of no Tyree kill. And it's like looking or like, did you guys all see that? Did you watch last year? Did you miss it last year? And I know this is part of the, like the larger question about what happened here. The, the swap wide receiver wise last year was Juju Smith Schuster out, Rasheed Rice in, which in this version of Juju in New England, like I'd forgive people for forgetting he signed there because he was not a factor when he was playing. Rasheed Rice, his ceiling is tremendously high. But yeah, I think especially with Mahomes, there, there really was like early year, you know, doing daily radio. We're talking about this stuff all the time. But there was like this feeling of, is Mahomes going to have to build some trust up with the receivers? You know, Kadarius Tony really let him down in week one. What's that going to look like? And then the entire season just continued that way. And so I, I think you've gotten tired dad energy from Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And I think Matt Nagy and Andy Reid this year. Uh, that's that's like some podium uh, body language vibe checks there. But it, it really it really has been part of it. I, I think there's a little rejuvenation. Them getting week 18 off. And then the win over Miami, getting Rasheed Rice continually involved in the way that he's been a part of this offense now. I, I do think there's a little bit of a spark this offense has. All right. To serve as a wet blanket, Josh Allen is a freak show and yeah. is making plays that are even freaky for him. Uh, we saw the, the touchdown run against Pittsburgh. My guy was at the third and 13 run against Miami the week before. He is just willing Buffalo to conversions to touchdowns to wins uh you know it's not the same Stephon Diggs it's not the same explosion on offense but I'll I'll admit it Joe Joe Brady has been a damn good coordinator an upgrade over Ken Dorsey I mean there's been real balance that they wanted so give him credit for that still I I feel like you're still gonna need that explosion to win three four playoff games in a row and we'll, we'll see if they turn that corner but you know, Josh Allen is is just making these detonation plays. What's the plan for the Chiefs? I mean, how do you think they're going to try to defend um, a quarterback unlike any other in the NFL? It's going to be fascinating. I was just talking about this with Seth, so I'll, I'll steal one of his little notes and talking about the, all the different blitz schemes that Steve Spagnuolo shows. And obviously, like, 
what he can do on a week-to-week basis in tailoring the game plan for the teams they're going up against, especially in playoff game plan mode, I am so excited to see because if I pretended like I knew what Spags was going to do, I'd let the Bills call me and offer me a lot of money for me to share that wisdom because I I don't know what it's going to be, but I know who Steve Spagnuolo is, so I have some guesses. So what Seth was sort of alluding to is all these crazy blitzes he's bringing. Hey, Legereus Sneed, this time go ahead and move in. Come back to the slot where you remember what it was like to play in the slot. Come on back in and just go to Josh Allen. What, just at the snap, your only job is go hit Josh Allen. Whatever it is that happens here, they have the best blitzing corners in football between him and Trent McDuffie. Um, and then you mentioned Stefan Diggs. If they have Legereus Sneed stick on Stefan Diggs again this time through, it's advantage Chiefs. And I don't, I, I don't think that's homerific. I, I don't think I'm wearing my, my Kansas City colored glasses. Legereus Sneed has been outrageous. And and he he beat Stefan Diggs last time. It, it wasn't even. I don't. I'm not. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn there. I don't. I don't think anyone would say. I don't. I don't have the stat lines in front of me. But but Diggs did not want to be lined up across from from Legarius Sneed by the third quarter of that game. So anyway, to to Josh Allen himself, obviously doing whatever you can to limit what he can what he can get from his weapons is huge. And I I think the Chiefs secondary even without Brian Cook, which was a legitimate loss. Um and and I think the Bills game was the first game um that that Edwards was starting in his stead and, and the, the safety group has gotten better as Reed and Edwards and rookie Shamari Connor. Keep an eye on Shamari. I think you're going to like Shamari Connor. If you're not okay, already acquainted, okay. he's uh he's got, he's got a little bit of Sneed gene in him. Uh, so kind of like a tweener who's been a safety, more safety, but he can come up in the slot a little bit and he's grown a ton. This, this rookie season, he, he's a really fun player, but that group has taken some steps. I think a lot of it's going to be about Nick Bolton and Drew Tranquil, though. And I wonder how often they'll be on the field together. I wonder how often they'll be the two linebackers on the field together than Willie Gay as the third. Whatever they're going to try to do, and, and the tight ends are going to be a problem. Like, that's that's a, a, a huge factor in all this we haven't really talked about yet. But I think if Spags can show Josh Allen a couple of things at times he hasn't seen before, just to get that half second of hesitation then that opens up the other trickeration that Spags is always trying to do. Games up front, games in the secondary, games off of the edges. I I think he's got to try to keep Josh Allen in his head a little bit because when Josh Allen is playing free football the way he wants to, he is as good as anybody, Mahomes included. Like that, the best of Josh Allen is the best of football. But you get those Josh Allen chaos moments. You find a couple of times a game that you can get him to do something totally inexplicable on first down and everything is back there in front of you again. So I think that has to be the goal for Spags. I think the actual way he, he takes those steps to get there are going to be fascinating to watch. You're, I'm thinking of this uh, Pat Peterson blitz or he had a he had a clear shot at josh allen this past weekend he just missed like it is easy you you think you have this guy broken down and he just sticks that back foot lets you fly by and he's and he's and he's gone and it could just come down to tackling you know which they're great at that is something the chiefs have you send that corner yeah it it was something about the the dolphins running game that did not stress me out in either the germany game or last week that does stress me out a little bit on the Chiefs' behalf for the Bills here, is the, the Dolphins want to do all of that stuff they can horizontally. Go ahead and run at McDuffie and LeJarius Sneed or, or Jalen Watson or Joshua Williams, wherever the third corner ends up being. It is a physical tackling group of corners that might not help if you're running down the middle. Good point. So, all right. I don't know if you do predictions, but what are your, um, what are your thoughts? If you, if you have a prediction or how is this game going to go down? Because I still am kind of torn myself. I didn't think I would be here. I didn't think I would be saying this before Chiefs Dolphins. I did pick the Chiefs to beat the Dolphins. 
Um, but I have just kind of been waiting to finally say, all right, I think it ends here. I, I, this season has been up and down, but the chiefs are good enough. Their quarterback is good enough. Their coach is good enough. And their defense is good enough that they're not, they were never going to miss the playoffs. Right. But I really thought they go to Buffalo. That's probably where it ends. And I've talked myself out of it this week. I, I think all of the injuries across the Bills defense and the number of spots they're going to have to try to hide defensively really would really worry me as a Bills fan. Because I think even as the Chiefs have a relatively limited pantry of who the guys are they want to go to, if, if they play those three, really four cards right with Mahomes, Rice, Kelsey, Pacheco, I think there are enough combinations there to give the Buffalo defense a handful. I also think that the Chiefs will make a couple of mistakes that if they make three mistakes might cost them the game. If they win two, they might be going to the AFC championship game again. It, it is going to be a fine, fine margin. But my, the score I've, I've, I've got scratched down over here that I guess I'm going to stick to because we do score predictions. I've got Chiefs 23, Bills 20. I think this is a low-scoring game where the Chiefs defense, as has been the story of the year, the Chiefs defense is going to hold the Chiefs into the game. They will be there because the defense will not let them down. This will not be 28 to three at halftime. There's, there's no world in my eyes where the Chiefs defense just melts down, even though I love Josh Allen. I think you'll get him. I think I got, I got 20 points from Buffalo and that's respect against the Chiefs defense. But I don't think it's going to be a whole lot more than that. So it comes back around to a very weird thing to say about a Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid led Chiefs team. But can the Chiefs offense put up 20 plus points? And I think if they can do that, I think they're going back to the AFC Championship game again. Well, isn't that crazy? Like that, 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 it comes down to that. Can Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs score twenty points? I've been trying to get used to that phrase and that question for twenty some weeks now, and it still feels ridiculous to say all that. I think the sheer force of will of one of these quarterbacks is the difference, and I. You know, Mahomes is the closest that we have to Tom Brady and, and probably will for, for a while. Brady would just will the Patriots to some of those playoff wins, right? I mean, he played in a zillion AFC championship games, and, and some of those years they had to go on the road, and it was ugly. Yeah, You didn't know who, who the hell he was throwing to. Rasheed Caldwell, right. who was even going to be out there? Uh, but Brady just found a way. Even the AFC championship game in Arrowhead, they, they had no business winning that game the way Mahomes played that first year as a starter and they, they found a way. So I, I guess maybe I lean that direction with Mahomes, but Josh Allen is, is on a different level of late with these, with these individual feats that he's pulling off. I don't know. I guess I, I'm not as bold as you. I'm not ready to make a prediction. Quite that's yet. okay. Wait, Quite that's yet. okay. You got some time. I will say that if you switch defenses, I would, I would, if you, if you gave the bills, the chiefs defense and the chiefs, the bills defense, I would take the bills in a heartbeat. And, and that's not a, an undercutting of Mahomes. I just think that might be where the space is right now, because if Josh Allen is in just Captain America mode, then yeah, that the, the battle of Titans that these quarterbacks have is, is going to be incredible. The other thing is just, it feels like Patrick Mahomes has been in the league for 10 years now to me. And it's weirdly like closer to that than you want it to be, but this is his first road playoff game. How is that happening in 2024? I don't, I don't think it really matters. Like, I don't think that I don't think he's going to be alarmed by his surroundings, nor do I think it's going to make him want to win even more. I don't really think it matters, but it just seems like a fake stat. It seems impossible that the closest thing to a road game he's played in the playoffs was playing the Buccaneers in Tampa for the Super Bowl. 
That's nuts. Yeah, if it was like the Dallas Cowboys coming up here where when it, when it gets dreary and cold and dark at four o'clock, at five o'clock, like that's it's a strange environment off of the lake here I, with the wind and the snow and the cold. Uh, but that stuff isn't going to affect Mahomes and the Chiefs. Nope. I mean, they, they just played in. So, and you know what? On the Bills injury front, yeah, they're they're banged up, but they've been healthy on the offensive line all year. They've been healthy on the defensive line. I mean, Von Miller is kind of he's played a little better of late, but it mostly disappeared. But they're finding pressure, so I, I guess I'm not ready to go to the extreme of oh, the defense is going to be in this game of whack a mole because they've been yeah. pretty resourceful to this point, and it's about pressure. And I think they I think they can get some pressure, so that's why I'm vacillating and filibustering, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll let, let's just shut it down right there. That sounds that sounds good to me. Look, the offensive explosion I've predicted is twenty three points. So I mean, I'm not I'm not necessarily. I didn't say forty to twenty, but I I cannot wait. I am really really excited for this performance. This was awesome, Joshua Briscoe. Only weird games. Casey Sports Network, co-host of the Zone, the host of Chiefs Post Game at Sports Radio eight ten, and also. I, I bypassed this. You do some writing as well at Arrowhead Report, correct? ArrowheadReport.com. It's over in the SI Fan Nation Network. Again, it, this is this is why there's good reason to wait until the end to read the credits that are my three or four uh, major jobs because, uh, you know, the, the, more, the more opportunities I have to talk about this extremely weird football team, the, the happier I'm going to be. So uh, thanks for adding one. I may, I may add uh, y- annual guest. Uh, to my uh, bio, along along with, uh, with 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 prime chiefs thinker. Well, you know, I think the, the last time we had John, all they remember about it is we compared the Thursday night game between Denver and Indianapolis to the movie Hu- The Human Centipede, which I've never seen. <laughs> I also have it. I just had the Wikipedia page. <laughs> I've never seen it, but uh, I do remember <laughs> us comparing a football game to that abhorrent film. Um, I which, think you know it's all in the title, I suppose. Yeah, I think we may have been too mean to Human Centipede, actually, upon right. further review. <laughs> all, all of the centipedes took great offense to that. <laughs> all righty, man. Good to see you. And congrats on getting married. Thank you, that man. Happened. It, it happened. It's been, I can't believe, there's been years and years and years than this last year. So thank you for having me again. Let's do it again in 10 years. It's actually one year. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you.